You're tuned in to RX Radio. Movement prescribed. Brought to you by Prescript.com. A personalized approach to keeping you healthy and making your best even better. Your hosts, Dr. Jordan Shallow and Dr. Jordan Jinta. I'm purposely starting this because you're eating, so hopefully <laughs> someone gives you shit. I kind of <laughs> like that this is not going to be a video podcast. Added pressure. Because yeah. oh, 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 we're feet, touching toes. Feet, feet just touched. Damn it. The, the that undertone of feet. That's a missed opportunity, man. <laughs> that could have gone viral. On, that's a related video away on some websites you need passwords for. Oh, um, man. Yeah, that cut strange. Uh, oh, what did I want to talk about? What the fuck? Anyways, I'm back. Yeah. Where are you at? Swiss? Swiss. Swiss. Up in Toronto. Toronto. Dude. Neighbors to the north. Crazy. Yeah, yeah, it was big. Is that the six? Is Toronto the six? Yeah, dude, As- come on, Drizzy. You know this. <laughs> the champagne pop, it's everywhere. What is? The like six? every station. You could live on a country station. It's October. October's very on. I don't understand that. Is it just his birthday in October? Yeah. Wow. He belongs to October. Hey, that's really creative. <laughs> that's his least creative thing. You know Drake's net worth? Uh, $800 million. Yep. That's, that's weird. That that's that. a weird fact yes. to know. Yes. I, I think I went like a deep dive in on it because I think Jay-Z is the most, like he's almost, he's flirting with a billion, if not a billion. Yeah. You know who apparently is a chimillionaire? Which Get the fuck I mean, out of dude, here. I think he's like, he's worth something obscene. Like he invested in things like, I'll see if I can look it up, but uh, <laughs> he's just a fucking sleeper. Like, like he D, might D actually, maybe E-list rapper, but <laughs> yeah, worth more than all of them. Yeah. Isn't Dr. Dre a billionaire? Wasn't he? Dre? Or, I don't yeah. know. Jay-Z for sure. Because he has beats and, he's, and they like sold to Apple. Oh, and all I that don't shit. know what that deal is. I thought he was the first uh, one to make it to a billion. Really? I'll, yeah. put, I'll type it in the Google. Um, yeah, but Chameleon, I don't know where the hell it came up the other day. Um, yeah, well, 25 million? Which, 20, which is not bad okay. for being a CEO. Oh, you being, like invested in a bunch of other shit. Oh, <laughs> see, what happened was... Apple bought Beats for three billion. Ah, uh, but yeah, I don't think Dre's seeing all three bill of that. No, no, the his cut gave him the largest single year payday ever recorded by a living musician. So that's what I was thinking. Uh, okay, but he's not far behind. Both, he's like eight thirty, eight hundred and thirty million. That's insane. Is you know who's up on that list is Sean Puff Daddy P Diddy Combs. Yeah, he he's killing it. Yeah. It, I think the thing is, like, once you're uh, a big rapper or whatever it is, you sign other rappers to your label and make money off them. It's just a rapping Ponzi scheme? Pretty much. Yeah. I'm yeah. liking the beard coming. I feel like I feel like you grew that in the last 10 days. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's good. You know what? I don't understand guys that go for, like, the purposeful stubble. <laughs> like, you know what you tell a girl when you do that? I'm not committing to anything. <laughs> that's, that's the international for side, international side for sorry, sweetheart. Not this guy. Um, you know, one thing I saw the other day that really bothered me, um, other than everything. I'd love to hear. Um, like spotting techniques. When, when someone spots you when they back squat, what's like the preferred method? I, so 
I mean, I squat with Olympic plates that are meant to be dropped. So I, I feel weird if someone's spotting me. I'm like, I feel like someone's invading my personal space. Fair enough. I can just understand that. Let me that. fucking grunt and cry just like a normal person squatting. What I, so there's two things. The bench press spotting. If you're a guy and you're handing off for a girl and you use one hand, you're a fucking asshole. You, have you ever seen that? Like, the most, like, oh, I can do this. It's like a power trip thing. And it's always the weakest fucking guys. It's always like the guy who can bench 185 spotting the girl who can bench 135. Mm-hmm. And because he feels emasculated, he just comes over the top to the center of the bar or off center and tries to lift off with one hand. And then when shit goes south, he tries to grab it with one hand. And in a doubling down of <clears throat> emasculinity, he can't pick it up with one hand, has to go to two. It's like, <laughs> fuck, dude. You just just have the respect because it makes a difference like if you're off center with your one hand it's gonna like pull left or pull right yeah so just both hands like six inches outside their grip pick it up lift it over don't be an asshole the one i think i the one thing i've been seeing a lot of is this reverse curl back squatting spot technique yeah where it's like what's the plan here guys i (laughs) saw a gnarly one of those did it go bad it went like three stages of bad how? It was like it was a power lifter. Yeah. Um, it was some chick that was lifting probably as much as I squat. And um the dude behind her, same thing, like picked the bar up off her shoulders. Yeah. But it wasn't like he was at that angle where he couldn't he's, get uh, it high enough upward. for her to actual yeah. pick it up. So they both started like tumbling back. And there was a wall behind them. Oh shit. So like they went into the wall, the spotter went through the wall. Come like, on. like not through yeah, through, but yeah. like like busted out the wall. Yeah. Barbell lands in his lap. Good. While he's like sitting on a bench, barbells in his lap and they can't figure out how to get this barbell off of him. That's what you get. That's what you- <laughs> it, was, it was pretty I entertaining. I understand the apprehension when you're spotting females of, you know, all that yeah. stuff. Like the weightlifting, no- we call that a safe sport violation. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, and the rest of the world calls that hashtag me too. But, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, I, just, right? I get that. But at the same point, like, there's a certain like you you need to just you need to you know temporarily dis, like suspend those kind of apprehensions when you are dealing with heavyweight that could hurt people like or just clear it up with them first sign here 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 and here <laughs> initial here date here this is a notary he's gonna stamp it and we're gonna record the whole thing yep but it's just like when that goes wrong like it could go wrong really quickly and it's like even just the belt you can get oh, another yeah. person up just by belt bring them up you should be fine like unless they're loading an asinine amount of weight that should be the way to do it but i've never understood the thought process of like coming over the top there's one situation where jesse burdick there's a there's a girl named tiffany that trains out of gym tiffany's extremely short but she's also extremely strong jesse's extremely Uh taller and extremely strong burdick could do it burdick could absolutely reverse curl whatever she's squatting and get it back into the rack. But other than that, it's like, to me, it's, it's a, it's a subliminal power thing. Like when girl, when guys spot girls, it's like a real weird, like, um, I don't know. I feel like Jane Goodall watching chimps behave in the wild. When I see that, it's like, this is the, cause you know, like Murphy's law, anything that can go wrong, will go wrong. And you're going to look like an idiot when you're trying to like reverse curl slash re drywall the fucking place. I don't know. On that note, on that note, um, take yeah, us there. Where no, are we going? I, I mean, I want to talk about Swiss for a bit because that was yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, tell me about um, that. It was like I'm gonna have to buy the DVDs because you don't get a chance to see all the presenters. So they ran four rooms simultaneously for wow. two days, two and a half days, and like you didn't, there wasn't enough time to get all of the information. 
But it was cool because, like, you'd see people come up to, like, other people, not me, but, like, be fans of academics, which I think is really neat. We're, like, I don't mean going to, like, fitness expos or Olympia or Arnold's or whatever. And you see people wait in line to shake the hands and be fans of fucking losers, like, absolute losers who won't be there next year. So it was nice to see people. Stu McGill was there. Nice. Had a chat with Stu. Was in the elevator with him. Mustache game. That guy's committed. (laughs) Holy fucking committed. That thing is the wild, wild west of facial hair. Um, But no, it was good to see people like coming out, paying good money uh, for for good information. So yeah, it was it was crazy. Cool. Um, But yeah, no, we got some questions um, that sort of started to trend in one direction um, about anterior pelvic tilt. Okay. Thoughts, comments, concerns, opening statements. Go. <laughs> uh, always. Why? Why? Why do they want to know this? Why? Well, I mean, a lot of times it's a postural problem. And I don't right. really... Here's the thing. I don't really like the idea of resting posture. I understand the people's apprehension with having poor posture. But for me, it's... It doesn't matter what position you're not moving in. It's the very fact you're not moving, right? Which I think blows a big hole in like a lot of ergonomics arguments, like the sit-stand desk. The sit-stand desk only really works if you're going from sitting to standing because that's mm-hmm. keeping you moving, right? If you stand for eight hours, you're going to be equally as fucked in different places if you sit for eight hours, right? So the postural argument of like increased lumbar lordosis, anterior pelvic tilt, the hip pain that comes with that. By the way... I think this is, yes, we'll be two weeks in to the HIP program. Oh. So we should be getting people getting all the way through. If you've gone, if you haven't, www.predescript.com, sign up for the HIP primer program, named it. Uh, um, I like it. And for those of you who've already gone through it, uh, shout us out on Instagram. Let us know what you think. Let us know where we can improve it. Shoot us a, a DM, slide in the old DM, see what you like, see what you don't like. Always. Um, but yeah, now that we're done paying the bills, thoughts on <laughs> anterior pelvic tilt. How do you address it when someone comes into your office and says, I have anterior pelvic tilt? Yeah, it, it depends on what they're, why this is causing them problems. If it's someone that, you know, it's a cueing mistake in their squats, so maybe they're overextending that lumbar and they think, you know, this is a neutral spine. Um, then yeah, there's definitely a real concern of, of, um, traumatic injury there. Uh, if it's someone who's just, like you said, sitting at their desk all day and they have a little bit of hip pain because they're not in the best resting posture and then they go and try and move, um, two kind of, two different approaches for those two scenarios. Um, if it's someone that moves, you know, they're relatively healthy, but, um, they're moving in a way that might cause them injury, then that's a lot harder to me because ego comes into play there. Um, so when you're dealing with someone like that, I think it's it's um, important in how you approach the situation. Uh, but but um, but the main thing is that you want to relate to their goals in a way that's going to kind of stroke their ego. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. You, you want to. Um, you don't want to approach them in a way that's going to make them feel like you're attacking them or saying like, you know, this isn't the right way to do it, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, so that, I think that becomes very important, but with, um, with anterior pelvic tilt in say something like a squat or even a deadlift, you see those people that kind of arch the shit out of their back yeah. in, in their setup. Olympic um, lifters. Olympic lifters transferring into deadlifting style deadlifts because they're dealing with maximal loads that won't be going past their hip. All right. No, no, I totally get what you're saying. Um, 
And yes, yes, because I deadlift like an Olympic lifter. No, Absolutely. You, you, you can turn it on and off. It's pretty good. <laughs> I, I try to. But um, I'm, t- I'm speaking, I, I guess, on more of a novice level than yeah. that. Um, is because there's some intent there. Sure. This is just someone, their intent is this is a neutral spine. Yeah. Right? Um, so I, the number one thing I, I'll teach to that person is hinging, just hinging as a whole. Yeah. Because um, I think that gets sometimes it's hard to communicate and, and um, it gets kind of brushed over when, when people are learning these things uh, by a lot of trainers or a lot of coaches, but something as simple as hinging at the waist or at the hip. Um, that's kind of my starting point for all of this. So, yeah, no, I like the, the, the tactile cueing with the hinge, especially for like the deadlift as well. Like yeah. I just put like index or thumb and, and pinky on the low back, thumb and pinky on the, on the cervical spine or use the dowel that's, and have like the back of the hand on the lordosis and the lumbar spine of the lordosis of the cervical curve and then just have them hinge and then just don't allow them to lose contact at either point. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I think it'd be hard to have this conversation without talking about butt wink as well, right? Because mm-hmm. I think that's a big problem when we talk about like increased lordosis when we initiate the squatting pattern is when people get to the hole, they see that posterior tilt of the pelvis. And it's like, well, if we just started with a little bit more posterior tilt, we wouldn't notice this rapid shift into that posterior tilt. If we brace the core, tuck the pelvis underneath, um, maybe like actively loaded the core and hamstrings a little bit more out of the gate, we wouldn't then see this like nothing, 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 rib cage flared, then all of a sudden the pelvis tucks underneath and everyone freaks out. It's like, it's, it's almost like the difference between acceleration and velocity. So you can go really fast and not notice. What people usually notice is a change in speed, right? So that's velocity, you can go really fast, but it's constant where acceleration is you can be going slow and then all of a sudden when you go fast, people notice it. Even if you're not going super fast at your top acceleration, you're going to notice it. it's going to seem like a lot because you're changing uh, velocity over um, a shorter period of time, right? Uh, acceleration, I forget the equation of it, but you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, acceleration yeah. is like the change in speed. Yeah, it's the delta, is the absolute right? Speed. And I th- just change speed to position where all of a sudden it's like if you started in a little bit more posterior tilted position, and then maybe had a little bit more posterior tilt at the bottom, people wouldn't freak out, right? That's, that's like saying that you're almost keeping a constant velocity at the same time. I mean, we're, we're comparing speed or we're, yeah, we're paralleling speed and, and position here, but it's the same thing where it's like, even if you get to the same place, but you start a little bit closer to that place with like a, a, a better brace position, you're not, you're not doing like the, I, I mean, I'll call it the ripito squat or the starting strength squat. I don't give a fuck anymore. You want to come at me? I'll give you my fucking home address. You can come visit. <laughs> and I'll coach Boone it. Come visit me anytime if you want to have this fucking debate. Um, but there's actually a guy who continues. He's from like fucking Norway or something. And he continuously trolls me from a video I did like two years ago about that. Because <laughs> he does that. He like does the the unload the hip first, right? The anterior tilt to initiate the squat and then sits back. Right, I know, and I give the same facial expression. How's this fucking well, he's L5 not strong. He's not strong. he's not strong enough, so that's part of his problem. Yeah. So you're not strong enough to get hurt. But <laughs> we kind of have this like they're the people to argue. With. Yeah, yeah. I love just you know throwing shit into the internet and see what happens. But like we're gonna have this weird relationship where it's just funny now. Like hopefully it's funny to him, and hopefully he's not taking it too seriously because he'll like tag me and stuff with his friends and squatting. And be like, hashtag sprained SI joint. 
But it's like one day that's going to happen. And then it's like, I don't know if he's being facetious or not. Anyways. Um, but yeah, so like you initiate the squat with that anterior tilt of the pelvis. You're going to get to the bottom. You're likely going to have to have that posterior tilt moment in the hole. Um, a lot of it for me comes down to how we train muscles in isolation. Like we can, we can focus on the cueing, but if we, what we're cueing isn't trained, like we're only as strong as the sum of our parts. Like we can't integrate this into a system. If in isolation, the parts of that system that need to be firing and acting properly in these positions haven't been trained properly. Right. Cause what I see, the common thing I see with this, uh, and this was kind of the impetus of this episode was a lot of people have been talking about like hamstring pain in deadlifting, that high-ish tube glued hamstring pain. And I think a lot of it comes down to pelvic tilt, right? Like if we're anteriorly tilted in the pelvis like all day and then we're lifting like that and we're establishing strength in a lengthened position without actually um, – we're relying on elasticity too much and not contractility enough. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, so, so that's like someone that just dive bombs a squat and uses that elastic barrier to get out of the hole. Yeah, the, the deadlift equivalent of maybe. Yeah, you can. You just shoot the hips too far back. You don't have core control off the floor. You're already that the pelvis is already a little bit too elevated. That ish tube is drawing tension in the hamstrings. Likely, there's not enough intent of rotation. That's a big thing for me. Like if you're feeling it in your hamstrings and not like your glutes when you break the floor, you're not corkscrewing into the floor. Because mm-hmm. um, I think people, uh, it's always garbage day in Santa Clara. That could be like a TV show. Like it's always <laughs> sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> it's always garbage day. Why in Santa is that Clara. such a perfect metaphor? <laughs> because it's <laughs> for fu- my everyday. Because it's fucking trash <laughs> oh, here. Oh shit. Um, no, I think that's that. Cueing's a big part of it. Like as you talked about in the squat, like to maybe tucking the rib cage down. Um, shooting the pelvis a little bit more in a posterior tilt to load the quads but i think in the deadlift like if you don't brace the core and hamstrings properly off the floor i think you're kind of in for a world of hurt and this is where the conversation i think about the lower abs air quoting lower abs comes in because this is something that i've been toying with lately is like the two things that are going to in by my experience best retain the position of the pelvis aren't necessarily the glutes like the glute max i feel like the glute because it's so like central because it's located on the pelvis, it it doesn't really have a great resting lever as far as creating tension and exacting a change. Like um, it's too close range. It doesn't have a long enough moment arm to actually affect the, is a Yelp calling you too? I guess they so. just hit me up oh, too. Man. Fuckers, man. They know we're around. <laughs> They're good at two for one. Um, so I think what happens is like, if you don't, if, if you, if you're not training core hamstrings in isolation and the only work they're getting is in that, you know, anterior pelvic tilt position, well, you're, likely your core is not being trained very well at all because you're allowing that low back to go into extension and the function of the core is an anti-extender. So obviously there's some sort of um, uh, misfiring or, or just poor patterning or we can't contract because we're not in the right position. And if you're not training the core in isolation, then you're not, like you only have strength in range of motion that you train it. Like if I did a bicep curl from like 60 degrees of flexion and upward, I would only have strength in 60 degree and upward, right? And same with the squat. Like if I squatted to 90 and then all of a sudden I loaded up like a PR and it brought me past that point, I'd have no juice, right? I'd have no pop. So you only have strength in the range of motion you train it. So for your hamstrings and your core, how they work sort of like, like safety pin opposite to stabilize the pelvis, and they almost have like a, um, analogous um, insertion points. One is top front, one is bottom um, 
or one is bottom back sort of thing. You know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, or, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I think if we're not training the hamstrings in a proper position and we're not training the core in isolation in a proper position when it comes to a neutral pelvis, we're not going to have strength. So we're going to revert back to whatever we've established our strength and from cueing it in the one motion we're doing that's actually loading the core and hamstring at the same time. <laughs> I've been working that one out in my head. Like, so here's the thing. It's like, all right, like, let's make this actionable. Let's make this takeaway. Go, if you're listening and you have an anterior pelvic tilt or you have ischial tuberosity problems, like you have, someone thinks says, says you have like glute tendonitis or hamstring tendonitis, go on a prone hamstring curl, a lying hamstring curl. Initiate like a posterior pelvic tilt. So use like your lower abs, drive your pelvis into the, into the, into the bench and see how much strength you don't have now. Like I had something that I took on um, a couple months ago. Uh, my buddy Ben Pekulski, he put me onto that. And it was amazing to me how weak I was when I wasn't relying on initiating that movement from an elastic point, right? Where if I had low back extension, I was lying on the thing, anterior tilt of the pelvis, issue was pulled up. I, I, could all, I could barely even lay down on the hamstring curl without by the weight already starting to come off the rack. But if I tuck the pelvis underneath, femur's going a bit more flexion. Now I actually have to find contractility in that position. Crazy. But if you can build strength there, now all of a sudden you can rewire your brain like, okay, we can be in this position. We can exert force. We can stabilize the pelvis. We can utilize the hamstrings as strong extenders of the hip in a flex position. I've done little deadlifting since I got back, and the deadlifts I've done, like the volume I'm able to hit at heavier weights is heavier than I've ever done before, and I haven't really trained deadlifts in like little sense of the meat. So I think that's a big part of it. And then the core piece of it, do you um, – this is one drives me nuts. I would say the most egregious CrossFit offense <laughs> is the reverse GHR setup. Yeah. That huge global extension. It, well, yeah, it has to be done. So the thing is they try to standardize it when it, it's, it shouldn't be standardized across all. Um, so, yeah, not great in competition whatsoever. But what do you think about loading that level of extension outside of competition? Uh, so... I think the thing that causes that level of extension is um, the standard where you have to touch a pad or the ground beneath you. So that causes a super extended lumbar um, and you're reaching back as far as you can. I think if cued right, you should be able to, well, it should be done and can be done with a neutral spine. Really? That's a hell of a lot of mobility at the hips, I think. Because, like, neutral spine means, to me, posterior tilt in the pelvis, tucking the ribcage Yeah, down. I mean, that's no different than standing upright, the amount of mobility in the spine. Yeah, I guess how you set yourself up on the GHR or GHD in this space. <laughs> but for me, it, I don't know. It Spinal, like, I look at core training two ways. Uh, action function. Well, I guess it's how I look at a lot of things that have a potential to stabilize a certain joint region. But... If you're going at all through extension and the moment requires flexion, that to me is training muscle action, origin to insertion. Muscle function is making sure we don't move at all, right? So, so what I would do is kind of flex the quad, try and neutralize the position of the pelvis as you start. I think we did a video on this on the prescript YouTube, the core progression one. Yeah. Where we did, um, where we do planks, reverse GHR sit-ups and ab wheel. I think that was a... Mm -hmm. um, 
So if you if you need like visual reference, go to the prescript on YouTube. Look up best chord progression. I think it's the second one, um, and we go through the reverse GHR setup. Starting with a posterior pelvic tilt, if you can get people into that position and then force them to resist extension there, where they're not again, if I if my pelvis tilts forward, my lumbar spine starts to extend, my rib cage flares up. I'm like almost eccentrically loading my core or abs, rectus abdominis in that case. Like you're just like the hamstrings, you're using elasticity, not contractility. If you tuck the pelvis underneath before you start, try and like neutralize, like you said, the lumbar spine, and then just start to hinge. Don't allow that rib cage to flare up. Right. Just watch people just start shaking. Like, oh, it's terrible. It's unbelievable. To me, shaking is like there's a conversation happening between your brain and like your lumbo pelvis, so like your lumbar spine and your pelvis, and you're trying to exert force, and your brain is keeping a stability or a stability inventory between function and structure. And when you're at the top, you don't really notice it because structure is kind of everything stacked. But as you hinge back and you lose that structural contribution, it's still trying to tally this 100%, and it's not getting 100%. Structure is less, function hasn't been trained properly, or at least in that position. And your body's like, it's running the numbers and it goes, guys, this isn't adding up. This isn't adding up. We're going to be in a bad spot structurally because we don't have the function. So, but something like that, you get two weeks, two weeks with someone like that and watch how quickly they begin to, to stabilize. They, they send the message that, okay, we're training functional stability in structurally unstable positions of the pelvis. We can now stabilize here. We can exert force. So are you suggesting that a better use of a GHR Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> for that. Uh, abdominal exercise would be isometric holds as opposed to um, going through range of motion? Uh, not necessarily. Okay. Because um, then you could make the argument that our weighted planks better than longer planks, right? I think that's that's a... A kind of a parallel you could draw, so like a weighted plank, because that's a, a plank still an isometric. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I guess it's so just a matter. That's, of, that's me saying is a plank better than a sit up? I guess. Well, yeah, because then because that's for me at least from a performance standpoint, I would say you always want to train or train more so function and not action, right? Because I think a weighted plank is going to be a more true, at least for me, to the specifics of the energy system in which I'm going to be using that core um, group of muscles okay. when I actually need them the most, right? So do I need to do some circus performance 12-minute fucking plank? No. If I have a 12-minute set, shoot me in the fucking face. I'm just not going to do it. But would it benefit me to then train like a weighted plank? Because the thing is, it's, I don't know, it's hard to say because at the core level, it's an isometric with inc with waving increase of load, right? Not necessarily weight, but load. Because when you're like I'm talking with the GHR, when you're in the top of that GHR position, and then you start to hinge back, and you're starting to like face the ceiling as you come back, the intent and the position, the relative position of the pelvis and the ribs doesn't change. So in that sense, or by that definition, it is still an isometric, but it's as if you're grading the force of it, right? right. So I would say isometric holds would be force. way harder. Right, they, that would be something that you strive to, but I like scaling the lever first. So a lot of people do isometric holds with a lot of weight here. Right. I think whenever Here's we can- on his chest. Yes, here, <laughs> on video podcast. Where are you, Mark? Nah. Um, if the weight's over your chest and you're doing an isometric hold, I think whenever we can internalize 
the stimulus of load, we're better off, right? And what I mean by I that is deviate your center of gravity by using your own limbs. So put your fucking arms over your head and almost do like a, it'd be like a hollow, right? In that position where you're trying to keep the rib cage down. Because now you're going to see, oh, well, m- core is more than just my rectus abdominis, transverse abdominis, internal and external oblique. Core is my serratus anterior. Core is my, my, um, my subscapularis and rotator cuff. Core is my lower and middle traps. Core is my lats. When you have both your hands over your head and you're trying to hollow, you can see a lot of shit in your shoulders that starts going wrong. Absolutely. Right. And so I think for me, that's 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 always going to be more beneficial as an indirect way of building strength because that information is so valuable. Right. So what about the maybe a closed chain version of that where you're on the ground, like a like a not necessarily the rollout, but a plank walkout where your hands are. Uh, in front of your shoulders as you go. Yeah, this is some like New York City Brooklyn Park training shit. <laughs> what, what are those guys' names? Like the What's bar his name? stars or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no legs on them, which probably makes it a bit <laughs> right. They can't have legs. They can't have anything besides like lats and serratus. Yeah, right. Because I, I, I was talking to someone about that the other day. Like, there's not because hypertrophy hinges off three things. Muscle damage, mechanical stress, metabolic um, stimulus or stress, I guess, right? You can't, you can't get big doing that. Anyways, regardless. Um, yeah. You know what's an actually a pretty interesting one and one of the few times I'll ever use a TRX is like a like basically think of a uh, – you can use it with feet. I'll use it with a rower. Oh, I've seen it. Yeah, so like use the like jackknife like kind of. Yeah, just kind of push out. Um, you can either put your feet on it or your hands on it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think that's a good way to scale. I like that because I think um, the serratus to me is something that I've, with my pec rehab, has really dived into. Absolutely. Um, and it's so misunderstood because what I think happens is people, <clears throat> they apply principles of strength rather than principles of stability. So I've been fucking around a lot with like uh, windmills like kettlebell windmills in um okay so press to the sky body goes lateral body goes lateral see i put in a so the scapula the i usually talk about the scapula moving to through two ranges of motion protraction retraction elevation and depression that's a low resolution picture of how the scapula works because there's a rotational moment that happens and a lot of that rotational moment's driven by the serratus anterior so like an upward rotation is going to be when that inferior angle of the scap starts to travel outwards and controlled out towards the armpit. So what I think what I think is helpful is getting that position and staying there, right? So like if I'm standing straight up, upward to the front of the room, externally rotated, I don't just laterally flex. I try and get my opposite hand, like straight line from one finger, to, uh, like one index finger to the other. Mm-hmm. I try and get this downside hand that's not loaded in between my legs, not straight down the lateral line, right? I, I think that's mm-hmm. going to evoke more through all three planes of the body. I like it. Right? And two, direct and indirect ways of building strength. This is going to tell me where I'm missing either hip range of motion, thoracic spine rotation limitations. Like this is, uh, uh, this is going to tell me where the chain is breaking down on one side to the next and then where maybe in my pre-script movements, shout out www.pre-script.com, hip primer program, up and live right now, head over there right now to sign up. Um, that's going to tell me where I can allocate my focus as far as some of the, the prerequisite ranges of motion I'm going to need to get into that maximally unstable position to then stabilize the scapula. 
So something like a uh, thread the needle, some maybe external rotation of the opposite side hip. If I can't rotate flex, and again, this is splitting the atom shit. Like this is high level stuff because flexion, lateral flexion and rotation on the low back uncontrolled, well, that's your recipe for a disc injury. But doing it properly and under the right intent with the right load, that's a hell of a way to stabilize your scapula. Yeah. So. I dig it. We were on pelvic tilt. Yeah, we got far from that. Yeah, no, it's good. Uh, now, like stretches. Like, let's just let's try and hammer some takeaways here. Yeah, I think, uh, I, and this is weird to hear me say because I'm always talking about stretching, but I think cueing is a more important way to fix this um, than actual stretches. Well, another thing you mentioned earlier was uh, the, for your own rehab on the knee is tempo. Tempo, absolutely. Yeah. I, the thing I love about adding a tempo in for. Um, whether it's, you know, tendon injury or coming back from a low back injury or you have this dreaded anterior pelvic tilt is that you can make real-time adjustments based on um, as you hit a certain point in that movement if you start to deviate one way or another. Yeah. So say you're used to just, you know, regular tempo squat, you know, not too fast, not too slow, just some right in that sweet spot. Um as you're going through that, it's going to feel normal to you. And what you're going to do and what feels right to you may not be symmetrical. It may not be the most structurally strong positions. But if you really slow it down, even just a three-second tempo on the way down, and you focus on cueing, all right, tuck that pelvis, rotate from the hips, keep those feet nice and flat. Where's the weight in my foot? Is it in the ball of the foot? Is it in the heel? Is it too lateral? Is it too medial? Um, you can think about those things just by slowing it down that much um, and make those real-time corrections, even though it's going to feel awkward because if you slow it down, it's not going to feel great anyways. Did you ever watch Recess as a kid? Yes. Fucking best show ever. <laughs> Do you remember Mikey? The big guy, big white dude, blonde hair. Mikey was like the big yeah, 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 lumbering yeah. guy. So uh, th there's a point to this, I swear. I'm not just going totally off the rails. Mikey was a really good singer. In one of the episodes, they didn't know he was like an opera singer. Okay. And he could only sing in the bathroom. So <laughs> then they started, you remember this episode? <laughs> Fucking yeah, man. Memory lane. Um, so what they did was they like started bringing urinals and stuff. Or they, they started with him in the bathroom. And they started bringing urinals into the music room and like blindfolding him. <laughs> the point is, depending on where you're at, the tempo thing. And I think pauses being a part of tempo. Like I think Absolutely. the four count tempo is the way to go. Like all, when I program for my clients, it's going to be... Um, whatever the movement intuitively is as far as like eccentric first concentric first so like for me like a squat tempo for a corrective 3E-2-2C-1 dash 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 so 3 second eccentric 2 second hold 2 second concentric 1 second between reps right so I think if you're starting off or you're working with clients or patients understand that you don't have the same proprioceptive awareness they don't have that sixth sense that we do where I know like the the thing with training, the more you do it, the more aware you become of the imbalances. Not necessarily meaning you're more imbalanced than you were when you started. You're just more in tune, and you can pick up on how the ground forces are coming th up through the feet. Yeah. Am I pronating? Am I supinating? And the higher performer you are, the closer you get to that potential. So those little things are going to make bigger differences. Exactly. So for your low level people, put them in front of a mirror. Right, that's Mikey singing in the bathroom. That's mm -hmm. fine. They need that visual. That's how I learned, dude. I remember I thought I knew how to squat, fucking 
front, back, backwards, inside and out. I knew my... It's a I, weird thing when you realize you don't, though, huh? It was like squatting in the middle of the ocean. I felt like Tom Hanks had cast away. I'm like, where the fuck am <laughs> like, I right now? Nothing makes any fucking sense. Because, like, the room wasn't really symmetrical, and the rack wasn't lined up with the wall, and, yeah. like, the bar wasn't lined up with the ceiling. And oh I was like, I'm squatting in some sort of fucking fun house right now. This is insane. <laughs> give, someone give me a mirror and a fucking level so I can start 90-degreeing everything in this room. But it's, it has to be an internal-driven process. It's yeah. it's naive to think that we can take, you know, fuck almost like thirty training years between the two of us. Sit down with someone and, and download that 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 perception. It's like I make this comparison all the time. Tell me what a new color. Like, tell me a describe a color you've never seen before, or imagine you're talking to someone who who can't taste anything. Tell them what peanut butter tastes like. You can't do it. It's you're describing a sense, right? The best you can do is put them in a situation for them to interpret what they're seeing and maybe latch on and apply some of the words you said. That's it. You can't teach it. You can you can put them in a position where they can learn it, but you can't necessarily teach it. So I think use a mirror first. Wean off the mirror. Mikey's out of the bathroom. Bring a urinal into the classroom. That's using a video camera. Because now you have to you have to log that you have to archive. Okay, rep two felt good. Rep four mm-hmm. felt good. Okay, rep two. What did I do? Like, oh, that's what I was feeling. I was feeling that. And they they put together these puzzle pieces in their head, and that becomes that new motor pattern that starts to feel. And that's the thing. It's all about how, when it comes to exercise execution, feel matters, right? Like, rarely does something feel like shit and move well, right? I don't care if it feels like if it's heavy, it moves well and it feels like shit because it's super fucking heavy. No one cares about your RPE scales. But I think for me, that's something like as you far mean as t- Instagram doesn't care. No one gives a fuck. No <laughs> one gives the slightest fuck. Like the best I love, I love PRs that aren't really PRs, but they're PRs at certain RPEs. Have you seen this? Like, man, I hit like, <laughs> I think I give a like a PR at seven. But like, wait, your squat is like 500 pounds. You just, for anything under 500 pounds isn't a PR. But yeah, no, this is like the lightest this weight has ever feel. I'm like, you're not going to, you're not going to make it. You should just, you should just probably quit now. Um, totally forgot where I was going with that. Oh, uh, yeah. The subjective <laughs> feeling of like proper execution when you, when you're re-educating, like when you're going through that neural, like re-education and patterning, I like the center of gravity thing. So where you use like deviations in, in tempo. I like using maybe layered on top of that deviations in center of gravity, put a counterbalance squat. That's a big one in a lot of our programs. Like put a 10 pound weight right at shoulder height, very far from your L3 kind of where your lumbar spine, sacrum area, where your center of gravity is going to exist. Go ahead, sit back now, sit back now and see what happens. See how much extension force is going to go in your low back if you initiate with that posterior or with that anterior pelvic tilt. Right? It'll cue you to brace the core harder because there's a lot of force, not a lot of weight on the lower back. So that'll teach them to break in the knees a little bit more. And that's intuitive. right? You do that to someone, they'll immediately change their squat pattern by intuition of feeling that feedback from the weight. The idea is you want to make intuition intent as that center of mass comes back into our base of support and we can get away with and have been getting away with loading into that anterior pelvic tilt position. So intuition, intent. Um, let's try and put a bow on this. Let's wrap this up. How do we, okay, so assessing you have a problem first. So I think a big thing with the squat and the deadlift, especially where this is gonna manifest, sure, resting posture can be somewhat indicative of you like having a higher correlation to having a tilt problem. Um, 
But I think, like you said, it's going to be a cueing issue. Um, with deadlift, what you're going to be looking for, you're going to see that the hips rise too early. I think that's a big part of it. You can't keep a posterior pelvic tilt. What happens? You create a horizontal leg drive off the floor rather than a vertical, right? You, you, you push those feet into the floor, the hips go back. That tells me you have a, like pelvic tilt is in there somewhere, right? If you can create a vertical leg drive, you're keeping your knees forward. Knees are forward from the posterior tilt of the pelvis. Knees are staying above the bar. Could be a weakness of the upper back if you can't, but more often than not, that's what you're going to see. Deadlift is real easy. That unlocking of the hips. Because like you said, I don't think people really appreciate squat, how... Squat, you mean. Squat, sorry, yeah. Yes. Uh, I don't think people really appreciate how to hinge and what that means. Because hinging is from like the xiphoid process. That's a, it's like the xiphoid process <laughs> so to true. like the... I always tell people lead with your chest and these sort of things. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I've, if you make it long axis, it's hard to fuck it up short axis. Yeah. You know, if you kind of simplify it, then, oh, I unlock the hip at the hip. No, unlock the hip with your shoulders. Yeah. That sort of thing. No, that's so, good. I never even considered that. I yeah. just made up the xiphoid thing on, on the fly. <laughs> no, that's... Yeah, it's... I mean, that's spot on. Even the thing that I love to cue like this is kind of taking it back to what we said before, a sit-up. If you do a sit-up from the ground and you just kind of curl your chest and you kind of curl vertebra by vertebra at a time, it might look like a sit-up, kind of. Yeah. I don't know. But if you think about leading with the chest and actually hinging at the hip for that sit-up, you're going to feel a lot more with a lot less reps and your low back's going to like you a lot better. Yeah, yeah, because I think that, again, function action. That low back's probably not moving too much if you're locking it in from, like, the rib cage or the shoulders, right? Exactly. And I think when you you want to move that cylinder together, a lot of people think hinge. I would, I would maybe say symphysis of the pubis, like front of your pelvis, xiphoid process, top of your rib cage. The distance between those two points should rarely ever deviate more than like a centimeter or two through that range of motion where if we're initiating by just sitting back first and that chest is staying up, mm -hmm. that's deviating a lot. The sternum staying in the same place, so the xiphoid staying in the same place, that symphysis is falling away. Yep. You're opening up, you're going into extension, you're losing the core strength. And the, I mean, I always make this comparison, like everyone, like if you're listening, make a fist with your arm at your side. I'm, I'm sure we've done this before. And then put your arm over your head and make a fist again. Notice where you're stronger. Well, you're stronger at your side. Yeah, because you have more structural stability contributing to that overall inventory stability in your body. goes, yeah, you know, you're good. Go ahead. All the force can go past the shoulder. You're fine. That's like one joint primarily. You can make the argument for four joints. But even at four joints, we're noticing a down regulation of force output past the functional instability in a structurally unstable position. Imagine how many joints are in your fucking spine. Right at at each zygopophyseal joint, at each disc end plate articulation, each one of those across all the levels that when you open that rib cage up, each one of those is now going to downregulate. Each one of those multifidus, intertransversaria, all those muscles of stability, they're out to fucking lunch. Your transverse abdominus, your rectus, none of it's working. So imagine the force you lost by moving by purposely moving into a structurally unstable position of your shoulder. Now imagine that multiplied by each one of those joints that's now disadvantaged because you're you're putting them in a position where they don't have the contribution of functional stability. I hope Boom. I hope that people listening can understand Play that, that half speed, and, <laughs> replay it and take the value out of what you just said because that is I mean, that's something I've I've thought about as a whole, but never really broken it down like that in my own thinking. Um, so that's such, we do this for us. I know we do this I for know. us. I'm so surprised that people listen. Dude. Such a valuable way of looking at this, though. If if you know every joint that you cross is either you don't you're not going to gain stability. You're either going to stay the same or you're going to lose as you go down that spine. So every time that you cross a joint, say you lose, I don't know, 
two percent in each at joint. Our spine right now. Yeah, I know. There's yeah. there's damn near a hundred joints in the spine. If you use two percent each of those hundred joints, <laughs> see ya. <laughs> just imagine there's like My a little. My math isn't the best. Yeah. <laughs> carry the no. one. I just ima- like imagine there's like a little Gandalf there for your nervous system, yeah. and it's going. You shall not pass. And if you train stability and stay in proper positions, go fuck off, old man. Get out of my way. Now this is happening. Yeah. And I think that, that when, and because that's the thing, man. Like, that's what I like about the programs we put out. And I'm not trying to fucking pump us up, but it's, I don't give a shit if you get better at like planks or side planks or reverse GHR setups or prone hamstring curls. I wouldn't give a shit if it didn't mean you get better at lifting, right? right? Like lifting real shit. Right, and that's the thing. Some of these arbitrary, and I don't want to spend time saying what other companies aren't. I just want to tell you what we're about, and that's more like I give a shit if everyone gets stronger, or everyone gets bigger, or everyone gets more like better endurance, whatever your performance goal is, right? And it's the integration of okay, do we have the requisite mobility to get in unstable positions? Yes. Are we smart enough to put in at the right time and at the right progression? a stimulus of instability to stabilize those joints so little Gandalf gets the fuck out of the way and our nervous system can express the strength we have, then load the fucking thing, integrate it into your training program, and then begin to actually get stronger in a way that's sustainable long-term. So we got cueing, huge. Tempo, huge. Center of gravity. Mobility to a certain... Honestly, I'm with you, man. I wouldn't worry about it. If you have that butt-wink moment, Work on those things first and watch what happens. I think the yeah. core and the hamstrings are big. I think the tempo and that 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 um, auto-regulatory feedback, put yourself in front of a mirror. So Yeah, a lot of times in the pelvis, cueing and stability work will take care of the mobility. Breathe. 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 Let's learn how to fucking breathe too, yeah, right? Spend time in these unstable positions. Um, move outside of the planes that you intend on moving in. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, create a functional buffer, right? Yeah. You, your boy's going to Kozak squat all day. Love it. Or a day. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think it's, it's a good point because so many people, they bastardize this approach. They don't understand what's good, what's bad, what's acceptable, what's not, what's dangerous, what's not. It's like understand gravity works is is agnostic to your beliefs when it comes to strength training. As It doesn't care if you're a crossfitter. It doesn't care if you're a powerlifter. It doesn't care if you're starting strength. It doesn't care if you're whatever. It It's totally impartial and unbiased, but it'll fucking let you know. It'll let you know when you're when you're fucking That's up. Right. So I think if you if you appease those principles, like lumbar lordosis, increased lumbar lordosis, butt wink, all this stuff, shouldn't be an issue. I cool. dig it. I think that was uh, we put a fine point on that. <laughs> Lunderjack Productions, check him out. I got to yeah. He was the MC at the wedding I was at. Oh nice. It was fucking amazing. He was picking on me a little too much, but it was <laughs> no. It was good to see Kyle. Um, I'll see him again. Actually, I don't know when this is going to air. I'm going to see him next week. But shout out, London Jack Productions. If you are thinking of starting a podcast, what I would recommend is shoot him an email. And I'm going to make sure I get the email right. Um, because I have had a lot of people reach out to me about starting podcasts. And um, we've made a stark improvement in quality from our first iteration. I was like, when do we switch over? Maybe episode 30 or 40? Maybe it was later than that. It's probably about know. a year ago now. We've run, run the new wow. hardware. Wow. Time flies, dude. It really does, uh, man. But lunderjackmusic at gmail.com. If you guys are thinking about and I think you should. I think if you're – that's the problem I have with a lot of people that listen to us are so fucking smart. They just don't get out of their own way. It's like we're recording conversations on the internet. 
Like it's seven thirty in the fucking morning. We're not wearing shoes, and we just riff and have a good time. I would recommend everyone if you're thinking about it, do it. If you want to do it right, contact Kyle Lunderjackmusic at gmail dot com. Um, if you haven't signed up for the Hit Primer program, it's free. It'll be free for the rest of the month. We might do something special in December, something big in January. Oh baby! Um, oh baby! Yeah, uh, but yeah, make sure you sign up for that. Totally free. We'll get you on the app. Um, and I are really, uh, really excited to see more of the the progress coming in from people. It's two weeks, two weeks, four days a week, two primer sessions for your lift, two recovery sessions on your off days, all focused around hip mobility, stability, strength. Check it out. See you next time. All right. We'll see you guys.